Like I, I hated myself and I think at my worst point, I no longer felt like I had a purpose on this earth and I felt like I couldn't control anything. How do you feel today? I feel the totally opposite. Like I, <laughs> I feel like I have, like I've shown myself I have the power to create this life that other people think is unrealistic and I have the power to control my own happiness. Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, I hope you're having a great day. I am getting ready to send Wilder back to school, like in two days. (laughs) Everything feels like a milestone right now. She'll be entering first grade. That means full school days from here on out until she's 18. I feel a mix of excitement and emotion, probably a lot like she does. So basically, I will drop her at the door and walk away. And as I walk away, I'll probably cry. But in my heart, I will hope that she grows in a positive way during the six and a half hours she'll be at school every day. And that she'll develop strength and positive self-esteem. And that she'll be happy when I pick her up. Because... Isn't that all we really want for our kids? Today's guest, Sandy Nypaver, is an accomplished ultra runner. She did her first 100 miler at 21 years old and has been on an incredible running journey through life ever since. She uh, recently qualified for our long distance trail worlds team and We talk about it a bit in the podcast, so I won't go into details now, but she was injured just days before the race. So most people, including a younger version of Sandy, would be demoralized and go through various stages of self-hate and blame and have trouble shaking that experience. But when I asked today's Sandy how she feels about it, she said, it's all better. Actually, I think I'm running now even more efficiently because it happened. So here she goes, seeing the positive. And that's exactly what I want for my kid. See how everything comes full circle here? But you know, Sandy didn't always see the world in a positive way. Her journey to love and acceptance, it started really young. And she admits it's ongoing, but the stride she's taken to pull herself away from self-hate and into self-love are worth sharing for anyone else who believes that they're not valuable. Before we start, take a moment to save this code. Go to your notes, write yourself a text. I don't care. RTW Podcast 15. Save this code so you can later hop on over to skirtsports.com and get 15% off the best women's fitness apparel on the planet. As you know, I founded Skirt Sports in 2004 because I was tired of compromising who I was when I was out training and racing. 
see, here it comes again, full circle. Like Sandy, this was a big step forward into fully accepting myself. It takes guts to put yourself out there, but it feels so good once you do. So don't forget to use RTW Podcast 15. Get some new fall goodies, skirtsports.com, everyone. New styles are dropping every week right now, and they're awesome. So let me repeat. It takes guts to put yourself out there. So please listen to Sandy's story with an open heart because she's truly an exceptional human being, even when she's talking about things that are very difficult. All right, then, let's bring her on. Okay, so when did you get back from San Juan's? It's been exactly like a week from today. Because I saw a post and you were like, I have found it. Yes, like the San Juan's, like my heart, there's a piece of my heart that's always there. Um, I think this is probably true for a lot of like mountain lovers. Like there's like one range that really steals our hearts. And it's not that there's not other beautiful places because I've been to so many beautiful places that I love going to, but there, there's a little piece of my heart in the San Juan Mountains for sure. Like that's my that's my wonderland. So for people who don't know where that is, give us a little geography lesson. <laughs> uh, it's it's Southern Colorado. So unfortunately, uh, we're in Boulder, and it's like a six or seven hour drive to the San Juans. But yes, it's the southwest corner of Colorado. And so, you know, Boulder's kind of like the mountains. For anybody who doesn't know the mountains, they're like, Boulder's amazing. Mm -hmm. So why do you have to go to better mountains? Like, (laughs) what's so special about them? I think, like, I do agree, like, Boulder's is is the mountains, but it's not being in, like, the big mountains. Um, We're in, like, for example, if you're in Telluride, you're, you just look up even from town and just, like, you're surrounded by these huge majestic mountains and there's waterfalls and there's alpine lakes and there's there's like wildflowers all over and it's just it's a different type of scenery than boulder and you know it's interesting because i've always felt like we control where we live Mm -hmm. and if where you live might be a factor that doesn't make you happy Mm -hmm. why can't you move oh i think that's why i'm in colorado (laughs) exactly so where did you grow up uh Parma Heights, Ohio, which is just a suburb of Cleveland. Uh, and so here's the here's the really fun thing about you. You've got uh, two sisters, right? Mm-hmm, correct. One of which looks exactly like you because she's your identical twin, right? Yes. Yeah. In fact, at an event, um, I was calling her Sandy, and she was <laughs> seemed to be very used to it. She we kinda, get that all the time. She kind of almost was just going to answer to it until she probably realized she should correct me. She does. She uh, she does that like. People say, hi, Sandy, on the trail, and she doesn't correct them. And then they were like, oh, I saw you on the trail the other day. I'm like, no, that's probably my sister. But what's funny is like, you know how much time and energy it takes to keep correcting people? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's worth it just to be like, all right, all right, all right. Exactly. (laughs) Especially like if you're like flying by like somebody on the trail, it's like, it's fine. (laughs) I know, exactly. So you grow up in the Midwest here, and Mm -hmm. somehow at some point in your life, you gravitated to Boulder, Colorado, and the Rocky Mm -hmm. Mountains, and and this life of endurance sport. Mm -hmm. So how did you get here? Give us a little bit of your background. Uh, That's such... I don't even know where to begin for that story. Um, Well, let's let's step... let, let um, Let me start us then with a different, maybe a different direction. So... If, for the people who follow you, 
they already know this. And the people who don't, you need to follow Sandy Nypaver. We're going to put your Instagram in here and your other social media and also Sage Running. Make sure that they're checking out what you guys do. Um, But a lot of your more recent posts, you seem to have found, I can't describe it as anything different than peace, some kind Mm -hmm. of like inner peace and a confidence in who you are Mm -hmm. and what you want, right? Yes, and I think even more so, even like like every year I feel like I grow a little bit more into the person I want to be. And it's interesting because I think a lot of, people who come to that place of peace and then feel the confidence to express it have gone through trials and tribulations to get there. Oh, for sure. Yes. And so I know this is true of you. And those Mm -hmm. are some of the things I think are important to maybe dig into. And so when we go back in time, Mm -hmm. you know, I think uh, it'll be interesting to hear about maybe some of the formative events of your childhood. Mm Mm-hmm. So let's bring yeah. it on. <laughs> so let's talk about, um, so you're growing up in Ohio. Were you always a runner? I always loved running, but I never, like I always had this voice in my head saying like, oh, you're not fast enough to be a runner. And I also grew up in a community that there was like a team sport emphasis. And so I just fell into that and felt like I was just kind of stuck there. But I always ran for, for enjoyment. Um, and then I just used it as training for team sports. But that's always like my favorite part of training was just going on runs by myself around the neighborhood. And so was this like as early as junior high? No, it was younger. I was, I remember even going for runs in like fourth or fifth grade. Like And like runs. pretty long runs, like hour runs or like even, Whoa. or I think in sixth grade, me and my sister did like a two hour run together on the bike path. Oh my gosh, that is so... Um, that's actually somewhat unusual, I would think. Because oh, you know, yeah, at that sure. age, kids are running. They're not going for runs. Mm-hmm. They're like running up and down fields and running around and getting, yeah. you know, running away from their parents. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. So do you remember what, imp- you know, compelled you to do that? Not really. I think like I've always been a pretty motivated person. And I just... I don't know. I think you go for a run and you kind of feel like accomplished after. You feel peace during the run or even during the run when it's uncomfortable. You kind of like have an appreciation like, okay, my body's doing this. Or like, I don't know. Like I I enjoyed pushing myself in that way and just the time alone with my thoughts. Ah, yes. So you had, even at that young age, you knew you needed to carve out that time to be in your own head. Right. Was that healthy? I think to a certain extent, I think I found that in running when I wasn't finding it in team sports or or everything else I was doing. Yeah. And so you would go for these long runs when you were really young and um, and you claim you weren't fast. Mm-hmm. But what does that mean? <laughs> I just, I always told myself like I didn't have the body type or the speed to even try out for the cross country or tracks team. And I don't know. Now looking back, that that probably wasn't true. Like I didn't live in like this running mecca place. Like running was definitely kind of a weird thing. Like I'm sure I could have made the team looking back, but the voice is just so strong in my head where I just I listen I listened to it and I believed it. And so how did and that's very negative. Mm-hmm. Because um, you were you're now already focusing it on your body, right? Which is you know a really interesting thing that you're already thinking your body's not good enough for something. Mm-hmm. 
Um, how did it, how did that happen? That's a very good question. I had an experience when I was very young, when my parents were getting divorced and through like the, the child custody battle, there was just like a situation that happened that made me feel very unwanted. And I think like, because it's happened so young, like I, I didn't know how to deal with it. And that was just the belief I formed. And I just kept growing and growing and growing until pretty much till early adulthood. Um, are you able to talk a little bit about what that was? I will to a certain extent only because I don't want anyone to think badly of the other people who are in the who are involved because mm-hmm. now looking back I know everyone just they had their own issues and and I felt like now looking back it's like that's kind of taken out on me a little bit but they didn't realize how much they were hurting me but I think I, I was just led to believe that my mom very much wanted my older sister Amanda and my dad very much wanted um, my twin sister, Ray, like more than they wanted me. And I think part of that was because uh, my sister, Amanda, she was very much like a mama's girl. And my s- twin sister is very much a daddy's girl. And I was always a very sensitive person, aware of of how I could possibly make other people feel. And so I always like, I remember like stressing out when I was even a little kid, like I have to split my time between my mom and my dad to make sure they know I love them like equally. Wow. And so like I kind of... I had that in my head and then like when the divorce happened and all that happened it's like oh I was trying to make everyone happy but then they just ended up not loving me as much and it made me feel like I wasn't enough but again like I don't want anyone to feel like my parents are bad people because they just they had their own struggles absolutely and you know we're all, and here you are being sensitive mm-hmm. to everybody, even mm-hmm. this many years later. How old were you when they divorced? I think it was a long, drawn-out divorce. Like I think the beginning stages, I was seven, and then my mom officially moved out on my ninth birthday. Okay. Yeah, the, that's a tough time to be internalizing messages that mm-hmm. don't make you feel so great. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and yeah, they're not to blame. And you were so young, you didn't have the tools or the support system to exactly. help you realize it had nothing to do with you. Right, exactly. Ah, and that's brutal. But what it actually did was start to develop um, insecurity, maybe? Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah. And so how did, so you would go for runs as a, a coping mechanism? Did you have any other like outlets where you would try to help make yourself feel better? I drew and I liked art, but I like I I don't even want to call those coping mechanisms. Like I think they got me through enough, um, and definitely physical activity did. But I think I also took physical activity as a young age to unhealthy level, and I like I was a sad kid. Like I probably should have been diagnosed with depression very early on, or at least gone to therapy and I think I carried that with me until till my early even mid 20s. Yeah. I mean, do you still feel like depression is sort of an underlying base layer for you? 
no and I for so long I just I let my de- myself be defined by depression I told the story like I was always going to be depressed is just part of who I was but then uh probably like four or five years ago I started questioning that um and it was actually like when I like in my I think I was 25 and I officially got diagnosed with depression and then they like they put me on meds and I started looking into meds and but then I also started looking into more like depression research and I started thinking like oh maybe I do have some control over this and so I kind of dug deeper and and now like I like I definitely have bad days but I feel like they're they're normal bad days and I I wouldn't actually say I have depression anymore well and that's uh that's huge Mm -hmm. because even just how we define ourselves Mm -hmm. can I think make things worse sometimes exactly right so when your eyes open up and you decide to tell yourself no I'm not depressed person Mm -hmm. like wow right that's a weight lifted yeah I I think the stories we tell ourselves are, are huge they are huge and there's all kinds of there's so many different forms of depression Mm -hmm. and um there's so many different ways that people can start to help themselves move out of it and Mm -hmm. some people may never i don't you know i don't know Mm -hmm. and then i've heard many times too from people that it rears its ugly head from time to time but Mm -hmm. being an athlete you've you've learned maybe more when it's coming Mm -hmm. what the signs are and all that exactly and i think like I learned what my triggers are or I set myself up to at least like try to prevent any any of that from happening again. It might not always work, but like I know I'm doing everything I can now. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's interesting. You de- you described yourself as I was a sad kid, you know, and that breaks my heart. Um, I've read enough of your blogs to know that you used exercise as like a, a tool here mm-hmm. and sort of a exercise addiction almost. Mm-hmm. When did when would you say that really started? I don't maybe as early as like middle school or elementary school. And was it always running? No, I think it was all forms of exercise. Like um, like I played basketball for a really long time and I would just play basketball for hours. Um, but I'd also, I strength trained really early. I would, I would just go to the gym. I'd be on the bike or I would just try to do everything. Yeah. So you were always moving. Were you thinking about calories? Yeah, to a certain extent. Oh, that's such a dangerous mindset. And I remember this too, you know, on most of those exercise machines, they tell you how many calories you burn, mm-hmm, exactly. which is not even accurate. But like a lot of times you stay on the thing until you're like, I burned a thousand calories. Now mm-hmm. I can eat a, you know, piece of whatever it is, mm-hmm. fruit. In your case, being vegan, <laughs> not yeah. cottage cheese and not a burger and not all that. But I wasn't then. And I think actually then like I, I had a food addiction too. Um, like I was definitely like a binge eater and I, I loved sugar and I could just, I was thinking about like sugar like all day long. And so I felt like I was trying to balance it out, but I, I wasn't like a really skinny kid either. But then on the other side, um, another part of the story, and my sister already said I could mention this, um, like my twin sister, she was diagnosed with anorexia when we were in like sixth or seventh grade and so but she was really skinny and then I heard like kids call me as like oh Sandy's the fat twin and so that got into my head too oh gosh 
Oh my gosh. And this is tough. Kids can be freaking mean. (laughs) And what you hear, you know, none of them will ever remember calling you that. No, not. And like, that's what I understand now. Like they weren't, they weren't bad people. Like that's just. But you remembered it. Yeah, exactly. Our words are so powerful. It's, it's such an important thing to remember Mm -hmm. when we lash out, even if we think we're in private discussing something. Mm Mm-hmm. That's not always private. Mm-hmm. The things that appear in your head sometimes come out. <laughs> oh, for sure. Um, so you had you're you're already going through these addictive behaviors really mm-hmm. young. Your sister, amazing, has she recovered? Yes, and I think she's actually using it to, uh, to help her now. But I before I, I say like, oh yeah, she's totally recovered. She will even say when you're like that severely anorexic part of it kind of always stays with you and it's it's hard to ever be like a hundred percent totally free yeah of of that mindset well and it it also you know the hard thing of course about food addictions and eating disorders is that you have to eat to survive Mm -hmm. you know especially as an athlete right you have drug addictions and other things like that you you can let those things go Mm -hmm. and you can still survive right so it's a hard thing because you have to learn how to control it and include it in your life and then Mm -hmm. try not to think about it all the time Mm -hmm. right yes (laughs) totally so um you also mentioned that you did some sort of self-sabotage or self, um, I think I'm, you mentioned the word cutting mm-hmm. in one of your articles. I mean, how open are you to talk about that? I'm an open book now. I feel like now I'm in a place where I'm, I'm very comfortable talking about it. So I'm actually new to, I haven't ever interviewed someone who has talked about, you know, mm-hmm. using cutting or self-mutilation as a a form of coping um tell me about like why did you go there what made you even take the first step i was in high school and i don't even think i was aware of it for a long time but then like it popped up in high school i don't know if it was just the internet or i i know i just i'm sure i saw it somewhere and i was just in so much pain pain all the time like emotional pain all the time and like i would I had really bad anxiety and and I couldn't sleep at night, but I was exhausted and so and like I just I didn't have any way to cope, but I needed a way to like calm down sometimes or just like refocus and and what happened? I would just have like a panic attack and then I, like I tried it and I realized like it allowed me to focus on something else and I I guess it would have like the same effect as a drug where it felt like it was kind of numb and I didn't have to feel anything else for a while. Like I didn't have to feel that pain. Wow. And I could just calm down. And I, it's always tricky about talking about things like this because you don't want it to be a trigger for somebody else. But at the same time, it's hard to talk about without it possibly being a trigger. Well, you you know, I think just describing your experience if it triggers someone else, you know, you can't control that, but you can help other people mm-hmm. who may even be in the heart of it going, I don't know how to stop this. Right. And so was it something where, you, is it a trick where you have to hide, do it on parts of your body where it's hidden and stuff mm-hmm. like that? Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I have a, like a couple scars on my arm, but like that was pretty rare. It was more like you do it on your legs. Um, 
Yeah. Wow. Yeah, no one no one ever noticed. Wow. That is that's crazy. And so at what point did you realize, oh my gosh, this is not a behavior that I need to keep doing. I need to stop. Like I think I always knew it wasn't okay. And I think I just kind of naturally stopped in college um, when I was like on a basketball team and like changing more in front of for other women. I realized like, oh, like, like I might get caught if I keep doing this. And so then you didn't need it anymore? Or did you switch to something else? <laughs> well, like I helped you manage the internal angst. Well, I guess like also like my senior year of high school, I was dating this guy who's actually a really nice guy but he was also had access to like painkillers and anxiety drugs and so he just like offered them to me for free sometimes and so then I could just switch to that and like some of the stuff I justified like oh like these anxiety drugs like I should probably be on them anyway um I get it and so like I kind of took those into college with me and wow yeah so these are prescription drugs Mm -hmm. and you've now would you ever say you were addicted no well or an (laughs) abuser of them maybe there's like alcohol addiction alcohol abuse alcohol you know i feel like addiction might be too strong a word but i think some people would call it addiction but i didn't have them regularly i didn't take them all the time it just like when i couldn't sleep or i felt an anxiety attack coming on or i just I felt too bad then I would take them. It's, you know, this is a whole new world for me um, because when I was growing up a little bit older than you here, (laughs) we didn't, prescription drugs weren't a thing Mm -hmm. that kids did. I mean, they drank and there were some other drugs going Mm -hmm. on, but it was the recreational side of drugs. Mm -hmm. And now there's just rampant abuse and use of you know prescription drugs that kids take from their parents or however they get them Mm -hmm. right exactly i think that's what happened like my boyfriend like his parents probably took them or their friends took them and he would just steal them every now and then and again like he wasn't a bad guy he's actually very smart um and actually like i think he's actually doing quite well now but like we just none of us knew how to cope because of our own families and Wow. just how our lives were. And so did the drugs just numb you the same yeah. way that, you know, cutting exactly. or doing the other things numbed you? Yeah, exactly. So at what point do you not want to be numb anymore? Like, I think I always, like, I never really wanted to felt that way. I just didn't see a way out of it. And um, what was it, though? Just this internal self loathing or internal yeah like I I hated myself and I think at my worst point I no longer felt like I had a purpose on this earth and I felt like I couldn't control anything how do you feel today I feel the totally opposite like I (laughs) I feel like I have like I've shown myself I have the power to create this life that other people think is unrealistic and I have the power to control my own happiness. So here's what I want to do, because I know there are people out there feeling like you did before, and it doesn't change overnight. I want to help them by sharing some things that you went through to help you make those shifts. What was a formative event? Like, tell me one thing that maybe opened your eyes. 
I think there's actually a lot of things, but there's two things that really started off. And the first thing is, like, I always had a very strong work ethic. And actually somebody, when I was in college, they wrote a little article on me and my sister about our work ethic. And um, that kind of got me thinking, like, oh, like, I I work so hard and I'm not the best, but people still kind of respect that work ethic. And I, a couple, like, some people in my college were inspired by it. But I would say th- the biggest thing was, I can't remember if it was my freshman or or sophomore year of college where I had this little voice inside my head saying, maybe you should try volunteering or you should start a volunteer group at your school. And I have always been very shy and suffered from like social anxiety. And so at first I'm like, no way, like I, I can't do that. I can't get up in front of people and talk all the time. But then like this voice kept coming up like, no, you, you really need to try helping people. And so um, I actually recruited my, my twin sister help and we started this group called Students Making a Difference in my college. And as soon as I started volunteering, it instantly gave me purpose. Um, and I think that's that was huge for me, uh, just feeling like, oh, I, something I was doing mattered to somebody else. And maybe it wasn't a big difference, but I can make a small difference in somebody's life. And I think uh, there's actually been a lot of studies on it now with people with depression, like that volunteering can help a lot because it, it gets them outside of themselves. And as I said, like it gives you purpose. Do you have any, um, sp- okay, so first of all, let me let me step back. <laughs> you and your sister started like an organization while you were in college? Yeah, it was just impressive. It was a pretty small um, college, but yeah, they didn't have a volunteer group. And so I just kind of like, okay, maybe I should start this. Where'd you go to school? Lake Erie College. It's a pretty small school in Ohio. And did you run there? No, I played basketball my first two years and then I found trail running. I got it. All right, we'll get there. Um, Okay, that's actually shows so much sort of bigger picture thinking and ambition than most college kids have first of all so kudos to you does the, does the volunteer group still exist there i'm not sure <laughs> it better yeah i think it does. <laughs> but i i love this idea of purpose not idea just the importance of it because anytime i have ever felt like i'm starting to have more negative thoughts or go into a darker place it's generally because i am lacking a purpose in my life Mm -hmm. you know and many things can give us purpose right but you also mentioned the word control and um you know many things can give us purpose but we can't control all of those things either Mm -hmm. you can have a kid and that can give you purpose but Mm -hmm. something could happen to your kid right you know or your kid can um, go down a dark path herself and you may not be able to control that either. Mm-hmm. So this is a really fine line, right? Mm-hmm. Um, tell me a little bit about, okay, well, let's talk about the next steps then. So this is huge. You found something, gave you purpose. It started to shift your head. Mm-hmm. Correct. And so instead yeah. of saying like, I hate myself, I'm not worthy. What were you saying at that time? It was definitely like a slow um, shift. So I think I definitely saw the, all those negative thoughts in my head, but some more positive thoughts were creeping in. And 
uh, action, like I had some, like the volunteering really inspired me and, and got me thinking because I noticed my happiness improving pretty quickly. But then I also had some like awesome professors in college. And it, like, I, it's funny, I didn't want to go to my college at first, but then I think it was actually meant to be because I had professors who really meant a lot to me. And my one, um, my main academic professor, she let me do my little side class um, studying altruism and... And that was really exciting to me. So people were taking an interest in you and making you feel valuable. Right. It's huge. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk a little bit about the twin experience, too, because it sounds like you went to the same college. Right, we did. And I know she lives out here, right? Mm-hmm. She okay. does now. So you guys have been really close your whole lives? No. Oh. <laughs> I don't think we actually got close till we started the volunteer <laughs> group together. That's interesting. You're going to have to share a little more of that. I'll start saying, like, I'm not sure if, like, anything such as, like, soulmates exists, but if it does, like, she's probably my soulmate. But very early on, I think we were on a similar path that was very unhappy, and we were just, like, dwelling in our own suffering, and we couldn't help each other. Have you had some counseling to help you reach these bigger understandings of yourself? No, but I I think I would have felt better much faster if I would have. Yeah. Like I think, you know, when I was diagnosed with depression, I was just given pills and I wish I would have been like, been told to go to therapy. I think it would have helped a lot. Oh yeah, for sure. And so anyone listening, you know, that's nothing to be ashamed of. And in fact... It helps so many people. Mm, it does. Um, and I think, though, that that kind of therapy can come in many forms, too. Mm-hmm. So so you and your sister were kind of like floating islands, right? You weren't exactly. really connected yet. Um, what brought you together? What, what made you even want to go to the same college then? We didn't. Oh. <laughs> I think we both kind of like felt forced to. Like I, like, I don't come from a wealthy family. And so when we were kind of starting the college process, like I, I really wanted to go out of state, but my parents didn't have money to take me to on these out of state trips. And so Lake Erie College is only like an hour and a half from where I lived and like it was convenient. And I also got the most financial aid and academic scholarships there. And so my parents were like, oh, this is the cheapest college you can go to. And it's, a, but it's a still pretty good school, like you should go there. And so I kind of felt forced into it but I remember like like, crying when I signed my college papers because I did not want to go there wow talk about like sort of like one negative thing after another it should be a really positive thing. exactly like I was yeah I was so unhappy signing those college papers I remember that uh were you still dating the guy nice guy but the Mm -hmm. guy who provided the you know anxiety assistance (laughs) yeah I think I dated him till like at least like halfway through my freshman year of college. Have you, um, are you, were you tying your personality and happiness at all up in that relationship? Yes, because I think I, I just wanted to feel some love from somewhere. Yeah, I know. I get it. It's hard not to do that. Oh yeah, especially I think as, as a young woman or a teenager, like, yeah, if you don't if you're not getting the love and support from somewhere, you're seeking it somewhere else. 
Absolutely. Well, let's talk about maybe um, some more things that helped shift you into becoming what you explained as the opposite of who Mm -hmm. you used to be. Um, So you talked about volunteering, which was something that you created that gave you purpose that helped other people's Mm -hmm. lives. What are some other things that helped you? One of the big things that happened is actually very within a year starting the volunteer group is weird like I had this thought in my head like this is really good but I could use an adventure and I just kept on having that thought and then it was um summer vacation from college and I was like I was always to like working out in the morning and like I had these gym classes I went to and I had my alarm set for one morning so I could wake up and go to this class at the gym but the alarm never went off and I ended up sleeping in and then I turned on the radio that morning instead of like listening to like the Blink 182 CD I normally turned on and I heard these guys talking on the radio about this organization called Impossible to Possible and they started talking about like this youth expedition that was coming up and they said like oh the the period to apply it just ended but but it like kind of like set this thing in my brain off and I immediately looked up that uh, their website impossible possible and I'm just like oh like the the application only the deadline was like yesterday go on this big, big expedition like I'm just gonna try to apply anyway and then I wrote this like long like heartfelt letter saying like why I wanted to go on this youth expedition what? to Baffin Island Canada oh and and they ended up calling me and like, interviewing me and I ended up being able to go on this this youth expedition to Baffin Island. So what was in the letter? I think it was just a little bit of everything, just saying um, a little about my athletic, athletic background, but a lot of it was actually um, sharing my volunteer experience and how empowering that was and how I want to keep on expanding on that. And so I really like owe that opportunity i feel like to volunteering wow and so that opportunity taking that adventure Mm -hmm. was that one of the other next catalysts that shifted you that was a huge catalyst because on that expedition some of the guides were were ultra runners or these people who went on expeditions all the time and that was a world like coming from Parma Heights, Ohio, a town known for its like potholes and pierogies was like totally new to me and so all of a sudden i won this this expedition and this whole new world opened up to me and I I heard stories about people running 100 miles or or even like one of the guys the main guys who who started it he did on this I think it was like a 111 day run across the Sahara Desert and I was just like totally blown away but I just got this spark of excitement and then I got home from that trip I quit my basketball team and I started running I mean, I just wrote down the quote, I could use an adventure. <laughs> you know, when uh, when a thought that bold and clear hits your mind mm-hmm. and doesn't go away, you have to act on it. And I'm just thinking of this concept of connecting the dots in our lives and how one thing leads to the next. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you hadn't gone on that trip, if you haven't filled out the application, if you hadn't mm-hmm. volunteered you wouldn't be a world-class ultra runner today <laughs> right like the it, it's crazy to think about like if that never happened like where would i be yeah. but 
I don't know, to me, it's just, my boyfriend hates when I say this, but like it was really just meant to be. And like <laughs> things work out. Oh, yes. come on, Sage. <laughs> be a little romantic here. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> so you quit basketball, you started running. Did you just start like Forrest Gump? You were like, I'm just going to run long. <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, my like, gosh. Like I had like signed up. My first trail race was actually 100 miles. First trail race of any rate. Like mm-hmm. you didn't do a 5K trail race. You well, did. my sister and I, right after our, like our second year of basketball, we signed up for like a half marathon on the whim, but we didn't really train for it. We just did it. Um, but then like the expedition stuff came after. And then a hundred miler. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> tell me about that first experience. I actually think my first hundred miler was like my best experience. Cause I, like I didn't have any expectations and I just like okay I'm just gonna do my best for the day but like I had I had like such terrible gear like I remember like running with like a plastic water bottle and I had no idea what I was doing but it actually like worked out really well and I just had it that spirit in me just like okay just keep going just keep running as much as possible but then I remember like it got dark and and my sister was uh, actually I was pacing me and like we didn't know anything about headlamps and our headlamp batteries died and they were like how do people run in the dark but we kept going, um, and I ended up finish, finishing, like, first female and, like, fourth overall, um, which, how, like, totally blew me away. How old were you? 21. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Right, let's talk about this um, concept of expectations and how that can play with your brain. Mm-hmm. So you say your first long run. <laughs> let's call it your first long run. Your first 100 miler. A, it was wildly successful. I mean, rock on. Did you win anything? Just, it's like this, it was actually a really bad like trophy made out of like, I don't know, some sort of deer bones and yeah, it wasn't great for, like I got rid of it now. Yeah, I just kept the picture. (laughs) Like that's all that really matters to me like from races. Like I just want one good picture from each race. So did you come away from that like, yeah, this is something I can do? Yes, totally. Like I was, I was totally hooked on Especially just like being out in nature and being on the trails, like that brought me so much peace. And you know, it's funny because a lot of people who live in more metropolitan areas or suburban areas, you think you don't have trail access. Mm -hmm. There's trails everywhere. There are. And like growing up in Parma Heights, like I was, I was very rarely exposed to trails, but then actually like about 40 minutes from where I grew up is Cuyahoga Valley National Park, which... It's not the mountains, but it's stunning, especially like in the fall, like like the, the colors and there's still like, there's actually a few waterfalls within the park and some really cool like rock formations. And yeah, it's, it's like this little gem in Ohio. It's amazing. And we don't know it's there until we're ready to see it. Right. And that is probably mm-hmm. a metaphor for a lot of things yeah, in life. Totally. So at what point did you meet Sage? It's been actually... It's been about six years since I first saw him in person, um, but we've been dating five and a half years. So we first saw each other at the Pikes Peak Marathon, but we just, again, we just saw each other. We didn't talk to each other, but then I, actually at the time I was living in Buena Vista, Colorado, and he just like messaged me in, I think it was October, that him and his friend were like driving through to the Grand Canyon and they wanted a place to run along the way. And so he's like, can you show us a run in one of us? And I'm like, oh, sure. Like, but I didn't think of anything of it. But then we just went on the run together and 
that was kind of it. And it turns out that wasn't the real intention. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Big surprise there. Oh, like, I love it. To like people like in their mid twenties, like right. I should have probably figured it out. But. Prime of my life, um, because I feel like you two are really building a life together at this mm-hmm. point. You know, you have a business together. You you seem very happy and at peace together and mm-hmm. accepting of each other. Right. Is that accurate? <laughs> yeah, like I think like like on social media, it always looks like everything's perfect. But but for the most part, like we, we are a great team. And so come, does he, I'm assuming that since you're sort of an open book, I mean, you both know about all of your stuff in the closet. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much. And and that you accept each other for who you are. Yeah. Like it's not always easy, but I think like if you always try to see the best in people and and you don't take things too personally or you try to understand like where somebody else is coming from, like things tend to work out okay. They do. And it can be really hard when you're both pursuing a similar goal, like you're mm-hmm. both elite professional ultra runners Mm -hmm. um and if somebody has a bad race and the other person has a good race you know i mean there's always this little fine line Mm -hmm. of like wanting to love and support each other but also needing the love and support back even when someone Mm -hmm. else is hurting how do you guys navigate that i think in the beginning of a relationship i actually really struggled with that because sage was running so well and i was my running was not going well and I felt like I was putting so much time and energy into it and I I think I did get jealous of Sage for a little bit because he just had all the success and it seemed to be becoming so easy to him um but now Sage actually taught me how to have a bad race and be okay with it um, because like Sage can have a bad race and he's still a really good person to be around after like he's somebody like you could still have a beer and laugh with and and it's because he realized like the people who love him aren't gonna stop loving him because he has a bad race and he is he focuses on the other things in his life that are going well or that make him happy and he's like like one bad race or even a couple bad races in a row like it's not the end of everything like as long as you still like have what's important to you and you don't put your marbles in all all in one basket maybe like yeah like things are okay well there's a the word perspective comes to mind Mm -hmm. from for me you know we all feel just as you know worthy of our last race Mm -hmm. that's how it often is and you can't usually see the bigger picture till your time you know time is our friend till time goes by and you go what was wrong with me right I had the best career ever why was I so bummed for this period of time with Mm -hmm. one bad race but I also think it's normal so it's really cool that you two have each other yeah it is and he's definitely my adventure partner like this time of year like I'm always dragging him out to the mountains and making him camp with me and so let's talk about, um, you made our world's team for the first time? Yes, yeah, it's my first time. Okay, and that race didn't quite go as planned. No. The training <laughs> did, it, it sounded Oh yeah, like. the training was one of the best training blocks of my life, for sure. And so uh, you you qualified to represent USA, I think it was in June? Correct. In Europe? Mm-hmm. And so tell us a little more about like what happened and how did you 
uh, handle handle the events that led up to the race mentally? So it was the World Long Distance Mountain Running Championships. It's kind of a mouthful, but it was like a 22-mile race with like 7,000 feet of elevation gain and loss. And I was just really proud of myself for making that team because I always told myself like I'm a natural ultra runner and I would never make a team that's under like a 50K. And so it was like like a big goal for me just to be on that team that that wasn't um, – I was gonna say like a long distance, but like twenty two miles is a long way. It's just, that it's was just like not your Olympics. Let's just get over it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so like I had like this really uh, good build up, but then a week before the race, I kind of noticed a pain in my back for a couple of runs. And then on my very last like maintenance workout, I started running up Green Mountain, and then I turned around and came back down, and I couldn't run downhill anymore. Like my kind of like my SI joint lower back I just it was excruciating and I'm like oh this is not good um but I was I was literally leaving within like 14 hours and there's nothing I could do about it before I left and so I just told myself like I'm gonna make the best of it and maybe it's just like this little weird thing that comes up before races sometimes and it would go magically go away during the race but that didn't happen this time like I did start the race because I I knew I had to try, but as soon as I hit the downhill in the race, like my back, my back was just excruciating. I'm like, oh, I'm done. Wow. And it happened just close enough to the race that you couldn't figure it out. Right. Yeah, this is really frustrating. Like everything went perfectly. And then during the taper, like there, like yeah. there went everything. And you're sure it wasn't a kidney stone. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because that would have passed and then you would have been okay. <laughs> right. Um, so you were at the race mm-hmm. knowing that it probably wasn't going to happen. And did you use the tricks that you've learned from Sage and been able to apply those to yourself to still enjoy the experience? Yeah, I actually, I love the experience. Um, and I, I was, I felt like the experience and how I handled it was like a huge accomplishment for me because I let myself cry like right after it happened like during the race like I was actually like I I had to get off the mountain so I still was kind of like walking hobbling down and I just like let myself cry then and be like oh it's okay Sandy like you worked so hard for this you're allowed to mourn for it mourn a little bit and so I did like I was like crying as I was walking down the mountain but then a couple hours after the race I'm like I am in Poland I have my boyfriend here and I also um I was also able to take my twin sister with me. And it's like, this is a dream come true. Like I got here because of my own running. And I was able to bring like my the two people like who are my biggest support systems like with me. And and I, I also had it in my head like the race is meant to be a challenge. And I think when you're racing hard, you're always looking for the best thoughts possible. And I knew I had to apply that to the situation. So even though it was hard, it's like, okay, what are the best thoughts possible that I could think right now. And I challenged myself, like, let's make the most of the situation. Like, don't waste your time in Europe. Like, because you don't know when you're getting it back, so make the most of it. And I challenged myself to make the most of that situation. And I and I kept on, like, focusing on what I was grateful for, and that helped a lot. And that that is um, a testament to how far you've come. Yeah, it is. It's pretty amazing. Um, you know, I also want to hit on a little bit your journey into the plant world. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I am actually a vegan myself. Right. I am a vegan um, with the occasional bite of like cinnamon roll or something, mm-hmm. you know, where I'm sure they use butter. Mm-hmm. But uh, tell me a little bit about how and why, you know, you are plant powered. Uh, I think I, I became vegetarian like six years ago and I was living in Salida, Colorado and a couple of things happened when I was there. Like one, I was started running with this uh, a man named Tom Sobel, who is a really good runner. Like in his day, like he was one of the best mountain runners in the country for sure. And at the time, I was running with him. Like I was training with him like two to three days a week. But he was twice my age, and we do speed workouts together. And he kicked my ass. And then I learned he was like vegetarian. I'm like, okay, so like this guy twice my age is running really well he's running 70 miles a week he's killing me in workouts like so maybe like this thought i had about like you need all this protein and meat and animal products to be healthy and a good athlete isn't true so i started questioning that i started asking him what now probably seems like really silly questions and so i explored that then at the same time i was in slide colorado which if you've never been there it's pretty rural part of Colorado like it is a mountain town you're surrounded by mountains but there's a lot of like cows and different kind of farm animals out there and I've never been exposed to that before like I've never like ran past like a field of cows like living in in Ohio and the first spring I was there I saw all like little like baby like calves and they were like playing with their moms and like running in the fields and I thought of my like one day I was running past them I thought of my dog back home and it's like is it are they really that different and it just started to make me question what I thought I knew and I and I also had the thought like if you're not looking into like their intelligence or the intelligence intelligence of animals and and really exploring that are you really being the best possible version of yourself or making the best decisions possible and so that's I really just kept on asking questions from there and finding my own answers. And the you found that what resonates with you mm-hmm. is to eliminate animal products, huh? Exactly. Yeah. Like I just, for me, one of my values is to not cause any harm possible. And I realized, for me personally, I feel like I'm causing unnecessary harm if I'm eating animal products. So let's talk about these values to not cause any possible harm to mm-hmm. others or things mm-hmm. or the world around you. Mm-hmm. What other values do you focus on these days? I think it's still very much questioning things and seeing how I'm of service to others and like I am somebody like I'm a natural questioner and I going with like not causing any harm theme like like I question a lot like even where my clothes come from like it I was something I think about like it's very tempting to buy like cheap clothes sometimes but then I think of like the factory workers and like if somebody I loved was working in the factory that made these clothes would I still be buying these clothes like because and a lot of these factories, like if people aren't being treated right, like they might not be my family or my loved one, but they're somebody's loved ones and they don't deserve to be treated like crap. And it's not worth 
a $5 shirt to have somebody treated that way. It's true. And so it's something I just, this is something I think about all the time because I feel like the more good people, and I think the world is made up of mostly good people, ask themselves these questions, we could eliminate a lot of harm very quickly. It's true. So you're a very deep thinker. And when you're out there in those miles, you probably, mm -hmm. it's like you're whittling a thought down to its very root. Mm -hmm. That's right? what, exactly, that's what I try to do. Yep. And that can be debilitating. <laughs> but it can also be very empowering. Because I feel like when I, when I get to the root of like the question I originally asked, I feel like, like I know who I am, I know like the value, I know what to do now. Like, so for me, like people think it's hard to be vegetarian, not choose animal products, but for me it's easy because I hold my value so strongly. Yeah, yeah, totally. There, every decision you make, you've got a firm foundation of who you are and what you believe mm -hmm. now. Exactly. Now. And I think that takes a long time for people to get to. And we mm -hmm. have to recycle, or not recycle, but recircle, exactly. you know, as, as life goes on because mm -hmm. we change. Exactly. So I'm just, I'm constantly open to yeah. learning. Oh, that's such a great place to be. So do you see, where do you see yourself in the future? Do you see yourself digging more into the service part of your core values or the athlete part of who you are? I think both right now. Um, I'm honestly, I'm not somebody who thinks too deeply about the future because I feel like if I keep taking advantage of the present, that tends to help me in the future. Um, I but like I, I do know I will follow the service route more in the future. Well, and in whatever way it is. Exactly. Because yeah. there's so many directions that that can go. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been a complete blast. And we we got into some good deep stuff there. Yeah. And uh, I think we have brought everyone, you know, from the dark depths to where we are today, which is at peace with yourself. Yes. And hopeful. Yes, exactly. Um, if you could leave our listeners then with one final piece of advice, one little nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be? I think it would be to always be open to learning, but then apply what you learn to better yourself and also try to like better others in the world in, in that process. Oh, I love that. And it really... That really applies to who you are today. Yes. <laughs> You're doing it. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Um, we're going to be rooting for you. And you. Uh, definitely, we didn't get we didn't get deep enough probably into what you and Sage are doing with Sage Running. So I'm going to put a link in there and direct people over because uh, you just come so highly recommended to anybody who's looking for a running coach out there. Um, and uh, we will make sure that we all follow you too. I already do, but everybody who listens will because you are definitely one of the, um, I would say like unsung heroes of the sport. Thank you. I, I truly appreciate that. Thank you. All right, I'm back. Um, I love this episode. Sandy's just fantastic. Um, what one thing that was really cool to me was this little sort of breadcrumb trail. I was taking notes and I just started connecting dots throughout and that one thing 
leads to the next thing, leads to the next thing, leads to the next thing. And if you're missing one piece of the breadcrumb trail, your life goes a different direction. You know, Sandy somehow found something magic in volunteering, creating that organization, students making a difference, gave her purpose. She went on an adventure to the Baffin Islands. What? She met ultra runners who introduced her to the sport, who then tapped into something that really fed her soul and has continued to bring her on a path to healing and acceptance and and even to find the man in her life, the partner who is helping her along this journey as well. It's just so fun. Um, You know, it's the who I was then versus who I am today story. We all have that story. If we go back in time to whatever point when we were at a place where we didn't feel great, you could say, who was I then? And you say, who am I now? And think about it. Think about how different you are and think about those things, those experiences, those catalysts that helped create the shifts in your life to bring you to a place of true happiness. Some of you aren't there yet. Some of some of us are, are not in a place of happiness and some of us will go in cycles because that's how life is. But the better you get to know yourself, it's like, it's like Sandy said, she knows her triggers, she knows her signs. If she's gonna slip back into depression, she knows it. And then she can act on it in a positive way. Um, I also really love her final nugget, always be open to learning and apply it beyond yourself. You know, at the end of the day, that's all we're here for is to keep growing, keep learning, keep challenging ourselves. And if we can do that in a way that does not cause harm to the world around us, then we have won. So Sandy Nypaver, thank you so much for coming on the show. I know you all thank her too. And let's just walk away today thinking about all of the little things that we can do to continue to make the world a better place. All right then, everyone, on that note, you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout, and I'll see you next week.